0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of my Star Wars podcast, the name of which will probably have been decided by the time this episode airs, but has not quite been named as of this moment. This was the Star Wars Universe podcast. By the time this episode airs, we will probably have renamed the podcast, but... All of that let's put aside, because the exciting thing is, Riki Hayashi is joining me, and we are continuing to get to the end of Rebels Season 4. Today we are talking about Episode 11 and 12 of Season 4 of Rebels, Doom and Wolves in a Door. Riki, have we once again found your favorite episodes? No. I told you <laughs> last time that Jedi
1: Knight is 100% my favorite episode of Rebels. Okay, I stand by that. So it's all downhill from here,
0: unfortunately. Okay, I get it. I get it. It's still
1: some good episodes, I, but yeah. It... I'm, you know, I'm joking. Like it, I'm not joking mm-hmm. about it being my favorite, Jedi Knight. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that these are not quality episodes. Mm-hmm. And especially this one, Doom, is basically just a straight sequel to yeah. Jedi Knight. And dealing with the very sad consequences of Kanan Jarrus' death.
0: To keep ourselves sane, we've been going doing about two episodes at a time. But last time, I admit, we were really tempted to do three because, in many ways, like as you said, like Jedi Knight into Doom, really go they really fit together perfectly. And uh, for those who haven't seen it in a while or are following along with us and haven't seen the episode, let me give a brief review. Um, so, episode eleven, Doom, with the destruction of the Imperial fuel depot and the resulting shutdown of the Tie Defender project. Governor Price decides to cover up her blunder by throwing a victory parade, but Thrawn is not deceived. While Sabine and Zeb depart for Lothal City to spoil that party, Ezra sinks into despair until he is challenged by the Lothwolves and led towards a gigantic Lothwolf named Doom who confronts him with his fears and tells him to return to the Lothal Jedi Temple. Meanwhile, after noticing that the Imperial TIE factory has been shut down, Sabine and Zeb encounter and engage in combat with Rook. After beating him unconscious, they send him, covered in Sabine's graffiti, back to Athal City to show that the rebels are still willing to fight. Hera overcomes her own grief by adding a token for Kanan to her Calicori and by being told by Sabine and Zeb of how Kanan essentially fulfilled their goal of stopping the TIE defender project. Ezra then informs his friends of their important mission to go to the Jedi Temple and recover its precious knowledge from the hands of the Imperials. And often, I just should have turned right over to you. I just want to start by saying these plot summaries are great, but what they tend to do is give us a this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And all of what I just read is important and moves the story, but I think what is far more important about this episode is the really beautiful way it deals with grief Mm -hmm. and the way it deals with how grief both brings them together, but also kind of separates them a bit. And for me, there was one moment that was just so beautiful that I'm I'm probably going to tear up just talking about it. I definitely teared up watching it, where there's an extent to which everyone realizes that you know, they all are feeling this loss, but that Hera is feeling this loss in a way that they cannot quite understand, they they can't quite relate to, and that none of them can really, she can't really let herself break in front of them because they are her crew. And there's this scene where she's just staring out, you know, out into the, the horizon, obviously thinking about him, obviously lost in grief, and Chopper rolls up next to her and extends his little, like, you know, controller thing that has kind of like a finger and a thumb to hold her and and like takes her by the hand and it just that stupid little war criminal robot was just like it was just so beautiful the thoughtfulness that went into that recognizing that she has they have been together since her childhood you know he is the last of her family really especially not like they're all kind of her kids but it's not the same and yeah it just meant so much to me that they put that little detail in
1: yeah, I mean, you said that this is um, about grief.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've lost my notes, but this <laughs> is the the five
0: stages, right? Yeah. The five stages of grief, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. You certainly get denial when Ezra tries to tell Zeb, and Zeb is like, no, no, no. That, that At first, he thinks, like, lost, like, you know... Ezra says he's lost, and he's like, What do you mean? Like, did he not find his way? Like, what does that what does that mean? And and yeah, so I Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off though with the five stages, but I just that first one came to me because that also was such well, a good moment. Okay,
1: here. I've pulled it up. I've pulled it up on my phone. Professional. I'm a professional podcaster. Uh, the five stages: denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And There are five main characters here. And like TV shows, writers love to do this, I Mm -hmm. feel like. Um, Two others that come to mind that have done this, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Mm
0: -hmm. had the
1: episode The Body, where a character, I'm not going to give it away, a character dies and the other characters are shown dealing with it and each one represents one of these stages. Um, What's The Haunting of Hill House? Mm -hmm. Has a probably one of the most amazing episodes of TV I've ever seen. It's called two storms and Mm -hmm. they film it. It's like three long takes yeah, for the whole like 45 minutes. And it's just amazing. So I feel, okay. Like you said, denial. I think that that's Ezra. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like he goes off and he's lost and kind of like, doesn't know how to, To to move on. Like, he's denying that Kanan's gone. Anger is Zeb, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mr. He punches out Rook and starts beating him up quite violently for a cartoon Mm -hmm. until Sabine stops him. Bargaining. Sabine? I want to say.
0: Yeah. Because she kind of has,
1: she kind of had, like, her and Zeb go out and they're like, well, what are we going to do? Like, let's. First, yeah. they're thinking about like disrupting the parade, and like, oh wait, there's Rook. Like, let's uh, let's deal with him, and then she's the one that kind of bargains with Zev on like, no, 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 you can't kill him. I think she says like, you can't kill yeah. him. The classic Batman line, right? Like, then we're no better than they are.
0: And she also she's the one who puts together the the bit about the Imperial Field depot, and thus comes up with the idea that therefore what um Kanan did, you know, that that had meaning. In his way, which I I want to talk about later, but I think that's another part of bargaining. It's the kind of like, well, let me let me find some reason why this happened. Let me find some thing that that makes this okay, even though obviously you can never make it okay. Depression.
1: Obviously, Hera. Mm
0: -hmm. When she
1: is sitting there in the cave uh, with his helmet, with his face mask and then acceptance which kind of like defaults to chopper and it's hard it's hard to like gather much emotion about mm-hmm. this droid but i think what what you said about that the holding her hand thing is the acceptance and helping her to accept it yeah most importantly
0: cuz as they say she does wind up by the end of the episode making a, another addition to the kalakori which i think is very much a like you you do that for a person who has died and that's part of the you know it's their equivalent of you know making a gravestone or sitting shiva you know or whatever is the sort of like you you know part of accepting that a person has died is going through what your culture does when someone has died and and so that's yeah it was just such a beautiful way of pulling it all together
1: and for her, the significance of the Calicori literally accepting him into her family. Right. Into this
0: history of their lineage. And that he rescued it. He was the one who got it out of Thrawn's office yes, for her. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to throw a little fly in the ointment here, which is the... And maybe I'm not understanding it, but I... I, I it. Well, here, let me. here's a way to say it. I think sometimes because i don't think this is a either this was a slight writing problem and they missed something or they did this intentionally and it was even better writing than i even thought of before then i <laughs> started talking about this because so what they were saying was that what canaan did blew up the fuel refinery and thus canaan had accomplished their mission because Remember, we talked last time that originally their mission was to stop the production of the, the new TIE fighters and that, um, but then they got so, they, they basically had to abandon that mission because they got blown out of the sky and had to just focus on rescuing people. And so now the version of the story is, no, no, but Keenan did it. Keenan caused the fuel depot to be blown up. But that's not what happened. Keenan was there, like, helping them to escape and in order to stop them from escaping, Price, uh, Governor Price, ordered that the fuel depot be fired upon so that it would explode and cause the explosion that she hoped would kill all of them. And Keenan prevented that explosion from killing. I mean, his sacrifice was to save everyone else, and that's amazing. But the fuel depot was already exploding. Like, there's nothing that Kanan did that made Admiral Price do that, and And so, as I said, at first I was like, it's a little bit of bad writing, but that's fine. But the more I think about it, the more I realize, no, when when people die, we we try to make sense of their death and we try to remember them in a positive light and their death in a positive light. And so I think a lot of times people will say like, oh, well, him dying now like brought us together again or like, you know, them dying, you know, he they, they 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 find some silver lining in a terrible cloud. And I think that's totally okay. And and so for me, kind of... And, and like I said, maybe I missed it, and maybe he really did cause it to happen. But I watch it, and I think that's kind of them putting, like, the best spin on it. In, in a way that I don't think is... At first I was like, that's kind of bad writing, and now I'm actually like, no, 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 it's great writing, because that's exactly what people do in the midst of tragedy. Yeah, I have... Two thoughts.
1: One is, like, the literal <clears throat> interpretation of Kanan did this. Mm-hmm. If you want to trace it back, I believe he's the one who directs Hera when they're on the glider to, like, go towards the fuel depot. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. I don't even know why. But at that point, he's, he's, dis- he's the one who's decided that the fuel depot is going to be the meetup point with uh, Sabine's escape ship. So right. from that interpretation, from a very, like, technical interpretation,
0: Kanan is, <laughs>
1: Kanan is the one that takes them to the fuel depot, and that's why it blows up. For the other imp- interpretation, I completely agree with you. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like, people, when death happens, we don't want it to feel meaningless. Yeah. And a lot of this episode is about the ghost crew trying to find meaning to give them the next stage of, of their battle to say like, mm-hmm. w- what are we going to do now that we have lost our father? Do we keep in there? Do we keep fighting? If <clears throat> yes, how do we keep fighting? Right. And they need this, they need this meaning to come out of his death, that his death had a purpose.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Buffy before, and I'll go back to it for a second because, to me, and yes, we all have huge problems with Joss Whedon, that's sort of the standard disclaimer, and there's a lot of problems with the show, to be sure, but some absolutely brilliant moments, and one of them is uh, involves another character death, where it's kind of a play on the idea that normally, like, people think about a great character should have a great death, and it's kind of like what you're saying, that their death should have meaning, and they're in a huge fight in one of the big, like, you know, climactic battles and you know they're fighting off just the hordes of enemies and one of them gets through and gets a lucky hit in and kills one of our main characters Mm, and to me it was such a brilliant moment because there was no meaning to her death whatsoever but frankly that's probably how a lot of deaths in those situations would occur but we like to believe that, like, someone died nobly, sacrificing themselves for something else. And so when another character who was there when she, they died is asked, how did they die? This other character says, oh, they died saving me. Clearly making it up because he wants to give – because they want to give that death meaning. And mm-hmm. obviously here I think they're not making it up. Kanan's death absolutely had the meaning of saving them. And you're right. Maybe it was also like because we do know that the wolf spoke to him, and he knew some of the plans. Like, there's so much oh, we don't yeah, know. Yeah. But yeah, either way, I, I just I'm glad I I just wanted to state that and kind of put it out there in the discussion. I'm glad at least we're kind of on the same page with that. So, what yeah. else with this? Oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I was gonna say like you mentioned the the wolf, the lost wolf, and my belief is that they gave in one of the previous episodes they gave Kanan a force vision of his future. And he right. accepted that he needed to die in this moment, so he may have literally seen himself standing on the fuel depot. You know, this is all very like time travel, ask yeah. like determine predeterminism, but that I may hate have that. been why he was that he directed them to the fuel depot. I, you know, just saying. yeah.
0: I I really hate that. That's not going to be in my head canon, but I think it's a perfectly legitimate, also way to see it. You know, so either way. Uh, what else about this? Episode? I mean, that like like there's a very sort of mrs lincoln how else was the play like to me that's by far the most important part of the episode um but what else struck you well at the
1: brief moment with grand admiral thrawn Mm -hmm. menacing as always mr (laughs) mickelson like he has like three lines chastising governor price and -hmm. and saying like i know what you're doing like you messed up when i get back you're in big trouble (laughs) Yeah, it's such a good moment for him as a character and like for the actor.
0: And I'll say, if um, have you read the Thrawn novels? That's the the new this the first of the Disney canon Thrawn trilogies. I read one of them. Okay, because in the first one, they establish the character of Admiral Price uh, and do a really interesting job with her, making her kind of sort of a background that helps you understand her. But that one of the things it establishes is that she's very good at finding a way to make victories out of her defeats and to spin things so that she always comes out looking good. And so having Thrawn just immediately see right through that uh, mm-hmm. was really satisfying. I thought, and kind of a and great it's character. In-
1: it's interesting that you put it that way because she's kind of doing the same thing we talked about the Ghost Crew doing, right? Like mm-hmm. this. This was a strategic defeat for her right to blow up the fuel depot and halt the thai defender program like from a galactic like history of the civil war perspective like she may have just lost the civil war for the empire yeah in that you know the way they set up thrawn and the the way that they set up the thai defender is like this this irresistible weapon that could be mass produced cheaper than the Death Star and, mm-hmm. like, for a fraction of the cost of the Death Star could have changed the outcome of the war. It's, like, how they presented in a lot of the stuff because Thrawn's a genius, right? And, like, why else would he back this? So for her to take this, like, very bad situation mm-hmm. be like, oh, but we killed that one Jedi. Yep. Jedi are so important. We killed a one Jedi. We're having a parade. We did it. Yeah.
0: And in a way, in other podcast, other episodes, we've talked about like that tension between the force users and the military. And Price is not a force user, but I think part of why Thrawn is frustrated is because it's the same thing. It's the idea of like, she she wasn't thinking strategically. She wasn't like, you know, I think I've made this reference before, but like the Robert Frost poem, like the Sith are red hot anger and the... You know, the military, especially someone like Thrawn, is like cold ice. Like, he's never going to let his emotions get away from him. And that's exactly what Price did. Price stopped looking at the bigger picture and was just like, these people keep defeating me. I hate them. I want to kill them at all costs. Yeah. And, and doesn't the
1: pilot of the walker even, like, question her? And, like, there's that moment where he's like says something like but the fuel depot or whatever like the fuel pod yeah like i gave you an order right like yeah puts that pressure on him
0: yeah very
1: much so very much so and it's interesting like i because i think at this point in his history thrawn doesn't understand the force slash jedi that well so Mm -hmm. maybe doesn't respect you know how powerful they are like, he, right. had, he had the incident with uh, the Bendu at Avalon. Right. So, but maybe he's starting to believe,
0: uh, you know. Yeah, I think it's all true. I also just think this moment is, like, the two people who Kanan was closest to and who were most affected by his death are Ezra and Hera. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how for Hera, she gets the closure of the Kalakori, And I think Ezra at least starts to get that in... Because one of his first thoughts is very much mirroring Kanan from the beginning of the show of like I can't do this alone, you know I'm not. He was my teacher, you know. It's very much like Luke after Yoda passes on, and I think the Lothwolves specifically, Dune especially being the one, you know, the name is a direct reference to Caleb Dune, and and that one, you know, spoke to K- to Caleb Kanan himself, like that wolf being the one to sort of challenge. Ezra and say like not only you not only do you have to get past this but you are now the one you are the one to go to the Jedi Temple you are the one to take on this mantle and Ezra coming to accept it to me that's that's his version of the Cory. that's his version of not only accepting the death of his sort of pseudo parent and friend and mentor but also now I have to step up I can't just rely on some other force user I have to be the mo- I have to be the one now.
1: Right, because for him, like his stage of grief, if we if we assume it's denial, like he is not only like in denial of Kanan's death, but in denial of his own abilities, mm-hmm. and that he he can be the one to carry on as the Jedi of the group. Like right. he didn't, he's he's in denial that he can ever live up to Kanan's ideal in his head. Yeah, and I think it is important. Or at least like it's interesting that it's a Loth Wolf called Doom. So we never really know canonically whether this is the spirit of Kanan or not. Like why does it call itself Doom? Right. We don't know. So it's it's very much different from a force ghost. It's very much different from Obi Wan's force ghost sitting and talking with Luke. But it right. has that same effect of you know, as Luke says in The Last Jedi, like, no one's ever really gone. Right. Of reminding Ezra that Kanan is still with him. Like, whether it's this weird wolf form or, you know, within him, himself. Mm -hmm. The lessons that he
0: learned from Kanan.
1: Yeah. That he can carry on.
0: I think that's true. And I think they do a beautiful moment at the beginning of having a Loth cat sit on top of a Loth wolf. Um, (laughs) Yeah. kind of connecting those animals and um is a spoiler for the next episode but you know this this episode tonight is about both of them so I don't mind the spoiler you know obviously in the next one we're going to get some references to the Mortis arc and to me a big part of what the Mortis arc is about is that the force doesn't always come through as neatly and cleanly as like It's either Obi-Wan the person or Obi-Wan the force ghost. Like sometimes Mm. it's mystical and it's ethereal and we can't say exactly what it is. And yeah, that's to me what the Lothwolf is. Is like, is it the spirit of Caleb? Is it that the spirit of this Lothwolf was in Canaan? Like it's the reverse way, you know, because like the importance of Lothal and like the Jedi Temple here and all that stuff. Like, I don't think we're supposed to know an exact answer. And I, I really like that.
1: Oh, I, I 100% agree with you. St- some stuff is better when it's mysterious and left open to interpretation of each individual fan.
0: Yeah. And not, so.
1: e- not everything needs to be explained, like, right down to the minutiae.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. All right. Um, there's probably more we can say, but do we want to go on to the next episode?
1: Yeah, was, so I mentioned, like, those two episodes. The other one that th- this episode brought to mind was mm. a Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Oh, go um, for it. Called Family, I believe, at the beginning of Season 4. So this uh, Season 3 to 4, like, end of season opening of next season cliffhanger was the Locutus arc mm. when Picard is kidnapped by the Borg. Right. And then immediately after that, they have this very quiet episode where captain picard goes back to his family's vineyard in france and Mm -hmm. talks with his brother and deals with it's not quite grief but he deals with the the trauma of being kidnapped by the borg and being forced to participate in their genocide of the federation yeah and I, it's one of my favorite episodes. Like, it's not very Star Trek, right? Like, it most of it takes place in a vineyard. There's like a mm-hmm. B story on the yeah. Enterprise, but I love it. Like, this is one of the things I love about TV shows, and especially like the longer seasons of TV shows is when they give their characters a chance to breathe. Yeah. And experience something that, like, in the context of the show or, like, even if it were real life, is would be, like, genuinely traumatic to the yeah. characters. And you can't just, like, in the very next episode go back to Adventure of the Week.
0: Right. Because I think the complaint so often about TV was in a world where, you know, this is maybe shocking for some of our young viewers, but <laughs> Riki and I both grew up in a world where if you missed one week's episode – Maybe you taped it, or maybe you had a friend who taped it, but probably you were just going to have to have someone else tell you what happened, or just watch the next week's episode and hope you figured it out. And because of that, most television was very episodic in that... Yeah, you could could miss a week. It didn't matter. This this general situation wouldn't change. It might change at the beginning of every season, but other than that, it would... And so to have characters die mid-season, or to have major changes, or to have one episode that's totally based on characters responding to the to the results of the last episode was unheard of. Um and yeah, and I I think, you know, by the time Star Trek was coming along, the hardcore fans were starting to watch more regularly and, you know, people were taping things and stuff, but it was still not very common. And I just I love that Star Trek did it and I think they did a great job and, you know, by this point it's more common, but still it's great when it happens.
1: I I think unfortunately i think it's becoming less common because mm-hmm. like in the era of streaming the seasons are shorter so mm-hmm. it's like hard to devote an entire episode to kind of a character reacting to something mm-hmm. you know what i mean like in a six season episode like loki is six or six episodes yeah like it's
0: I mean, it's more, the stories are more serialized. So you still get some of it, but that, yeah. that's a whole longer discussion, I think. But, but yeah, you're right. It was just, it was just really nice to see this episode that was mostly about like, like the whole fight with Rook, like it's fine, but it, it felt mostly just like they wanted to have something to happen because yeah, yeah. most of this episode was just emotion and it was so well done.
1: Oh, like the, yeah, the emotion was well done. I think the The voice acting was really good,
0: like for mm-hmm. e- each of their individual segments.
1: Like it's very yeah. believable,
0: and I think it also showed how good um, the Kane and Jair's character had been, uh, both the, the acting and the writing and everything. Because, you know i I believed Hera's pain because I felt it because I was so sad about the loss of that character. You know, and I think that doesn't happen unless it's a character we re- we really care about.
1: Yeah, I still, it's hard, it's easier to talk about this episode, like, separated from Jedi Knight. Like, the emotional arc of these two episodes is probably too much. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's probably true. That's probably true. It was a lot easier to watch, like, one, like, wait a week, and then the other, as as Mm -hmm. we record these, than, like, try to talk about both of them. Like, I would be
0: bawling right now.
1: And I still yeah. like I have like a little welling of emotion, yeah. but I, I don't know if I would have made it. Yeah, I hear that.
0: Well, all right, let's 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 put a cap on that. There's a lot all more right. to say for sure, and fans would love to hear what you gotta say as well. Let's get let's, weird. Let's talk about the next one. Wolves and a door. With the aid of the Lothwolves, Ezra, Hera, Sabine, Zeb, and Chopper head for the Jedi Temple, which they find being occupied by a mining guild excavation team led by imperial minister Haydn, who is very close to penetrating the temple's secrets. By interpreting an unearthed mural depicting the Mortis gods, father, son, and daughter, Ezra uses the force to bring the images to life, which show him the location of the door. However, despite their disguises as imperial scouts, their presence is found out and the alarm is raised. Ezra escapes through the door into the temple just before he can be captured. So. Let me start here, because for the most part, Rebels has been, it's made references to things from Clone Wars. It's made references, obviously, to the movies all the time. But as a story, it's fairly self-contained. And then we just get this reference to the Mortis gods, which, if you've been watching Rebels and haven't seen Clone Wars, you might have no idea what's going on. Riki, can you give us a brief summary of who are the Mortis gods?
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let, let me preface this. By saying a this is not one of my favorite episodes it's probably one of my least favorite because Mm -hmm. I don't like the mortis gods okay despite what I say about I enjoy the force to be mysterious like to me this is like a a step or even a jump beyond mysterious this is just like kind of just completely weird right Mm -hmm. but I will do my best there was an arc in the Clone Wars cartoon where Obi-Wan, uh, Anakin, and Ahsoka, their shuttle, for whatever reason, crashes or like lands mysteriously on a planet in who knows where
0: mm-hmm. called
1: Mortis. And there they encounter three very powerful, mysterious force beings... The father, the daughter, and the son, and each one is meant to represent an aspect of the Force. The daughter, the light side, the son, the dark side, and the father, the balance. And the father is dying, and he wants, was it Anakin? He wants Anakin Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to take over, because Anakin is so powerful, he's the chosen one. He wants Anakin to take over as the new father, as the balance because he's so powerful in the force and stuff happens the the son and the daughter fight because they're good and evil and they end up uh, possessing ahsoka mm-hmm. the son ends up possessing ahsoka and using her to fight uh anakin receives a force vision about becoming darth vader in all this and in the end result uh, ahsoka dies Mm-hmm. but is resurrected because the spirit of the daughter inhabits her body and like gives gives life back to her. And because the daughter's representation, one of the representations of the daughter was the Morai, the owl. That's why in the course of the rest of Clone Wars and in this series and in Ahsoka, we see that owl, the the Morai, around oftentimes when Ahsoka is there. It's, it's like this... Representation of the daughter, and a reminder that the daughter's spirit is still within Ahsoka, and this kind of points to some of the mysterious stuff going on on the Ahsoka show, which right. we didn't even get answers to, and so there's still a lot of questions. And so, like all of the questions in this episode of Rebels, also you will have the same questions in Ahsoka. Yeah. So there you go. That that's my best. Explanation of the Mortis thoughts, yeah. And uh, if you want more of our thoughts, uh, you can
0: find. I will put in the show notes the Clone War episode because it was from a long time ago, but where me, Ricky, and Sarah talked about the Mortis arc because we watched it together and talked about it.
1: Oh, Um, Sarah, and Sarah
0: loves it too.
1: Yeah, which is good. Like, when I say I I don't like it, and if you do, great. (laughs) And and frankly, like, I want to hear more from people who have a different opinion about those episodes and about this arc. Because it can help me to understand and appreciate it better. So I love listening to her talk about it. I
0: think it is similar to the prequels. And what I mean by that is just... And I know a lot of people love the prequels and that's absolutely wonderful. I'm very happy for that. I'm not attacking them in any way when I say that. But to me... The Mortis Arc introduces a lot of ideas that are very interesting and add a lot to the overall story, but the actual way it is done in terms of like the writing of the episodes I don't think is very good. And I to me it's it's it sort of it introduced a lot of things that never really went anywhere, and I think it's also part of my frustration with it, and so I'm Again, I don't want to say anything about live action stuff, but I'm I, I think we I think we're gonna get more about it in later stuff, which is also part of why I'm harping on it so much now when it's only a few seconds of this episode. Um but saying that, like Ricky said, if you love that that stuff, please let us know. Would love to hear in the comments. Or if you don't like it or just don't care about it, let us know. But bringing it back to this episode, um This episode kind of left me confused a bit. Like I liked it. Um and obviously i'm i'm watching it knowing where we're going and i'm not going to say anything about that for those who are watching through it for the first time but it it like the episode felt fun and i didn't like have a bad feeling watching it but it was such an emotional come down after like the in, incredible you know wrenchingness of the last episode so maybe it just maybe that's what it was needed especially when it's first coming out is this kind of a palate cleanser cuz like it's a fine episode. We get from we get our characters from point A to point B, and we learn that the Emperor is trying to find more Jedi temple stuff, and that's important. Yeah. And we learn that there are these people who kind of clearly have some understanding of the the Force and all that, and what that's about, who aren't like Sith or anything, but they're clearly like students of, you know, the the history of it. Um, it just there just wasn't really much there, and I, and that was fine. Well, let's. Let's first off acknowledge the
1: amazing Malcolm McDowell as the mm-hmm. voice of, what is it, Minister Hayden? Yep. He- Hayden. Like, unmistakable voice. And it's just, like, fantastic to have such an amazing actor, like, doing a role in the show.
0: hmm
1: And then to have him acting opposite of Ian McDermott as the Emperor, like, talking remotely via Hollow. But yep. just like what a what a great scene. So like there's there's amazing stuff that I enjoy in this episode like that. But there's also like questions. Do do people are people supposed to know that the Emperor is powerful in the dark side?
0: So in some of the books, what they have explained is that there was always kind of like a cult of the Sith who were. Kind of the equivalent of, you remember in Rogue One, we meet those characters whose names I can never pronounce, uh, whose names I can never remember, um, and they're they're not really force sensitive. the The blind one is a little bit force sensitive, but the, you know the, the 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 guardians of the wills they're called who are like yeah they know about the Jedi and they believe in the Jedi and and maybe they have like a little connection to the Force or but they're they believe in the history and all that. And in the books, there's this idea of there have always been similar people with the Sith who, most of them are not Force-sensitive in the slightest, some of them just the smallest bit, but they've, like, studied the histories and they've kept this cult alive. And the Sith, like, Force users can occasionally, like, draw upon them when they need to. And I, I think the idea is that those people are aware that there is a Sith Lord who is, you know active and doing these things. Yeah. I think I think most of them don't know that Darth Sidious is Emperor Palpatine. Oh, um well, or if if they do, they're like sworn to secrecy in all the sorts of yeah. ways. And um but yeah, so I think most people don't have any idea. So but my, I do think some people know. My question relates to the fact that the ghost
1: crew listens into the conversation between hayden and the emperor during which the emperor makes reference to like there's been a disturbance in the force right and they don't miss a beat <laughs> no one questions like why does the emperor know about the force Or are like what's going on here so that i i feel like there might be a little bit of like oh right... you mean how do they know yeah yeah I think there's there might be a little bit of the writers forgot like what the characters should or should not know. Maybe? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be curious to hear your interpretation of that.
0: I'm trying to remember what um because the emperor specifically says there's a disturbance in the force. Right. We know so at the end of the prequels, Obi Wan knows that the Emperor is um <clears throat> Palpatine. Yoda knows, and um, Bail Organa knows. And the first two are largely cut off, but they do meet with Obi-Wan, and certainly they meet with Bail, and Ahsoka works with Bail quite a lot, we know, also from the books. So I, I think it's perfectly reasonable to believe that we didn't see that on screen, but at some point Bail told them the Emperor or- is, sep- is, the, is the Sith Lord that we were looking for all that time.
1: Or Ahsoka. Probably yeah ah, so maybe maybe we maybe we missed it at some point in this series yeah or maybe like, it's like unspoken like off screen
0: Mm-hmm. but there was definitely like there's a chain of people there are people who we know knew it who we know have been talking to these characters for a while
1: yeah okay that's fair that's fair
0: i can i can buy that mm-hmm But yeah, it is definitely an interesting moment. And I think it's the first time that – it's certainly the first time that the Emperor has appeared in, in this show, I believe. Um, so mm, he obviously – appe- did yeah. he, what? I think so, yeah. I don't know. It, We've watched so much different Star Wars now. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and, and, and I will say there are massive inconsistencies about who knows what when we jump from one time era to the next. Yeah. And that's just a, like, once they start by telling us that the Jedi are an ancient, mostly forgotten religion that, by the way, was super active 20 years ago. Like, all bets, in terms of who knows what from when, I kind of feel like all bets are off. And I've just decided, like, I yeah. just can't ask that question anymore.
1: It's a, Yeah, and it's okay. Here's the thing. Star Wars fans. Star Wars fans. It's okay to have be knowledgeable about star Wars. And I think it's to some degree, it's okay to nitpick stuff and be like, Oh, well like this is inconsistent with this other thing. Okay. Like deal yeah. with it. Do you still love star Wars? Is it okay that there's this inconsistency? And then like 30 years later, they might take what seems like an inconsistency and make an entire TV show to explain it. Yeah. We won Kenobi. Why does he call him Darth? Because he's kind of like spitting it back in his face at the end of that battle. I love that.
0: Whereas I think Obi Wan just adds to the inconsistencies, but that's a whole other story that we literally did a podcast about. I know. So, but but, I, but, but that's the thing. Like, if you love it,
1: let it go. Let yeah. go of the small things. So, if, if I don't, I else, don't know if they should know the Emperor's Force user or not. But whether they do or not, I can let it yeah. go.
0: It, and if nothing minutes. else. To me, part of the point is, yeah, it's fun to nitpick it like this, but it has been baked into Star Wars from the very beginning. Like, there are inconsistencies between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. So, and as we can see here, there. so just, my ask is, don't ever come at us with the, oh, Kathleen Kennedy had all these inconsistencies. Like, that's always been a thing, you know? It has just always been a part of Star Wars. <laughs> it's it's always a part of almost every kind of storytelling. Yeah. Like, when you're doing prequels and time travels and all kinds of, you know, no time travels here, but still, like, it's just always a problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, original trilogy, Leia kisses Luke in Empire because they didn't yet know that they were siblings. (laughs) Like, 100% that they hadn't written it that way yet. So there was still, like, this possible opening that they could get romantically involved at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a thing. So I'm trying to think about anything else from this episode. I do like the way that – because it's a painting of the Mortis characters on the wall. Yes. And it's very reminiscent of like cave paintings in our own culture that are like, you know, known – or in our own world that are known to be like, you know, Neolithic, like ancient – I'm probably using the totally wrong word, but like, you know, millennia old. And so – Having those those paintings on the rock that then kind of come to life and like no one else can see it, but Ezra, they kind of like you like the hands of the different characters point to each other, and then the lothwolves that are in the painting literally like leave the painting and start to walk along the wall, and Ezra has to follow them to find the entrance to the temple, and that it's um it's kind of like a a test of faith kind of thing or what or you know for force users or however you want to describe it because he can go through but the Imperial soldiers can't. And I just thought that was such a beautiful detail.
1: Yeah. And I, I like keying off of that. I love that Sabine using her knowledge of art and maybe art history. Like, I'm not sure like if she has, if she studied that specifically, but like as the artist, she is able to interpret what's Mm -hmm. going on and then tells Ezra, I believe, just like do your thing.
0: Yeah. I told you what needs
1: to happen do your thing with the force, whatever that yeah, is. <laughs> because
0: he does, he does, he's just like, it's just a painting. And she's like, no, 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 no. Art has meaning. Art yeah. has significance.
1: Yeah. So, I, I like, a very good use of both of the characters mm-hmm. in Definitely. that moment. Definitely there. There's some, like, imperial incompetence in this episode that feels a little bit like a throwback to maybe season one mm-hmm. of the show. The way that they, again, like, steal the the scout trooper armor and just like walk in and like bs their way around this compound
0: Mm-hmm. it's just like come on
1: imperials
0: yeah like on the one hand this isn't even really an imperial thing it's like this private company that gets thing that but on the other hand a it's lethal which they know is like a hotbed of rebel activity and b it's the thing that the emperor is personally interested in, so yeah, I I would think this would be like an entire legion of my best troops would be there, but you know, say, Livy. Yeah, but obviously, like it has to
1: happen for the plot, and at least like the other stormtrooper calls them out on it as like, no, you need to come with us, and like we're gonna sort this out. So yeah, may- maybe that is a little. Feather in their cap that they actually like <laughs> stopped them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's still when when it comes out that oh hey like the the troopers that you stole the armor from failed to report in on their on their scouting trip, like maybe like the compound should be on a little bit more alert
0: than this. <laughs> <laughs> you know what are you gonna do? Net nah, right. and Let it, it lasts. Go. Let yeah, exactly. That's the idea. Uh whether it's the Beatles or Elsa, either one is telling you Let it go. Um Oh you let, mean be- let it be. Let it be, let it go. It's the same idea. Yeah. You know, <laughs> English versus American. Um all right. Any other lat or Norwegian? Anyway, we're going way down a dark t- uh 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 tangent. Any of the last comments on this episode?
1: I guess I like I don't know what to say about this other than to ask the question because it... it the Loth Wolves. Like, mm-hmm. we... The fandom knows that Dave Filoni is obsessed with wolves. That's why they show up here. That's why, like, yep. in Ahsoka, uh, Shin and Balin are named after Norse, like, wolf gods. But the, the way that this art like came to life... And the loth wolf paintings move like, I like I don't know how I should feel about this, because mm. it, like culturally I'm not well versed enough to be like, is this appropriation? Like what what is going on? So I don't know if you have thoughts, Matthew. If not, I, we can just open it up to the fans and say share sure. your
0: thoughts. I guess for me, because I did think about that briefly, but that's part of why I mentioned that it. For me, what it reminds me of is the cave paintings that have been found in like what is now France and Spain. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, I I do think that it's very easy when saying like ancient magical you know thing that's indigenous to this land large large before the Indians get there. To I'm sorry. It's very easy when talking about this idea of, like, a kind of magical power that is, like, in, inherent to the land and spiritual and is kind of, like, ancient and unknowable and is, you know, indigenous to the land long before the empire gets there. It's very easy for the, the what results to be kind of appropriationist of... You know, whether it's Native American or Australian Aboriginal or like, you know, African or any different indigenous population um, that often is a, a colonized population and it's, it's uh, people not, you know, of that background telling that story. To me, this didn't feel like that. It felt more kind of like, the, like the, and maybe it's just because I did a project on uh, the uh, French cave art in like, you know, sixth grade or seventh grade. And that's why that's the illusion it brought up for me. But it, it felt more generic. It, not not like this felt generic, but it felt like the references it was drawing from were not specific to any one particular indigenous culture, and didn't make me think of any particular one. Um, I mean, it did make me think of one, but but of you know a European one, which I feel is a little more fair game for that kind of a thing. So yeah, I mean, I I I, I didn't catch any illusion like that, and. I, I certainly am in a lot of. To give you an example, during um, Andor, there was a lot of discussion about how parts of the Andor story dealt with issues of indigene- indigeneity and things like that. And there were conversations I heard from people bringing up other times they thought Star Wars had appropriated th- that kind of thing in ways that were inappropriate. Um, and this was never mentioned in those conversations. And. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible there are still some folks who are bothered by it and and because of stuff that as you said that you and i just don't have the cultural context for and are missing and so fans please let me know but i'll just say that from though from what i would see and and all and also from just the the, you know the 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 dog that didn't bark there that would be my sense of white it doesn't like sort of trip anything for me
1: yeah and when i bring this up and ask questions about it and ask like is this appropriation my point is not to be like, okay, well now we have to cancel Revels, we have to cancel Dave Filoni. Like that's yeah, of course that's that. not the point. My like I want to examine things from the perspective of ignorance. Like I am ignorant on this subject. Mm-hmm. I want to learn more and maybe I'll go do some research. And to like find out what what the roots of interpretation and of like like who created this and why. Right. Like, why do they draw it in this way? Why, you know, why do they use certain words or whatnot? Uh Like, I'm actually really curious, like kind of a tangent, but it's a little personal to me. In the Ahsoka show, they use the word Ronin. A character Mm. calls Ahsoka Ronin, a Ronin. And I just kind of had this like moment of a question mark appearing over my head, like, should that word exist in yep, the Star for,
0: Wars universe, for like, those who don't know, that is a specific Japanese term, yes, right? It, a, a samurai without a daimo, daimyo, if I yeah, understand correctly, ma- a masterless warrior.
1: And so, like, I found it curious. And again, I'm not like, you can't use that word; it's Japanese. Like, it was more the fact that culturally, I think the word has become you in common usage enough in the English mm-hmm. language that the writers like didn't feel any compunction about like oh like we're just going to use this word instead of like right. you know ex-Jedi or masterless Jedi or whatever like huh. and well, and that enough fans would know it and recognize it I think mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of cool and I'm like okay with it but I still think it's important
0: to like have these discussions and say like are you being respectful in oh yeah the usage and, and I think there's a couple things there one in terms of like framing the discussion I appreciate you said that but I also think anyone who's been listening to you and I talk before like there have been times, particularly in the Clone Wars, but even in rebels a little bit, there, but especially the Clone Wars, we were like, no, this here is appropriation in ways that are deeply offensive. but we're also even then we weren't like, let's cancel the show. We were like, yeah, this was something made a certain number of years ago and and probably could have been done a lot better. and it's worth pointing out. Yeah. Um, I will just say with the use of the word Ronin. I, I do think it has come into the larger sort of geek fandom lexicon. Especially since the in the MCU and in Marvel Comics, the character Hawkeye (laughs) referred to it. But also, I'd say, oh my gosh, but but also, I'd say, if there is moments of the Jedi being appropriation of samurai culture from Japan, it absolutely does not start with the use of the word Ronin in that TV show, right? (laughs) Like, Lucas was very clearly, I think he would say respectfully drawing from, and other people could say appropriating, and that's a whole other discussion. But I I imagine that part of why, uh, and I don't want to talk too much about that show, but we can acknowledge it, it's been out for a while, uh, that part of why the word Ronin was used is because there's a long tradition of drawing upon samurai illusions with the Jedi. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, no
1: question of that. Of, Of the original inspiration, and of course in the, what is it, the visions? cartoons like the oh, very yeah. first episode the ronin like what a, what a great episode and so like again like it was more surprise for me that they used the word and that it was like well known enough i guess mm-hmm. as to yeah. your thing about the mcu i chuckled because what is absolutely offensive is jeremy renner's japanese when he's the character <laughs> ronin in those movies like it is clear that they just gave him like the phonetic reading of yeah. the lines
0: I mean, also that he's using that name while going and slaughtering Japanese people. (laughs) You know, know. like that's a whole other thing. Um, But yeah, no, I, I'm really, and it's funny. Well, there's two things I will say because I'll also acknowledge uh, my own, uh, you know, thing I probably should have missed, which is that I've been talking here about like there is, of course, European indigeneity, and that's like you know. I, I don't want to ever sort of imply that I'm saying like, you know, that that that's not the case. But I think there's an extent to which we don't often talk about it being appropriative because it's not about, you know, the people telling the stories are not the ones who went and colonized a different land and then took those stories and, and used them uh, when it's, you know, mostly white people telling the stories of, you know, uh, in relation to 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 things from, you know, uh, ancient uh, European cultures and the like. Um, but also in so doing I kind of referenced it as, you know, because that's the thing that we learn from, you know, from a very young age. Referencing, of course, the fact that or, or at least that I feel a connection to it and should have paid more attention to the fact that, of course, that's that's somewhat different from you, someone who doesn't have a, a European heritage. Um, so my apologies to that. i Also, switch kind of to name that um, as just one more part of this conversation um, of, you know, how complicated this conversation can get.
1: See, now you've reminded me that Ronan also defeated hiroyuki sanada in that scene
0: and now mm-hmm. i'm even
1: more upset because <laughs> he's he's an absolute legend and for him okay so i shouldn't the, have
0: said a word because everything i did went onto the radar screen If you upset, upsetness about that so never mind everything i said Yeah, yes for, you understand. for
1: for him to be in the mcu in such a bit role like he could have done so much more
0: oh my goodness that's fair <laughs> that's very fair that's fair all right when i well, say i'm
1: upset it's in it's in a joke
0: a i joke hear upset. you upset I hear you. I hear. You. you know, it's it's pineapple on pizza. I get it. Yeah. Um you know, which I, I I will joke that what people do to to pizza is cultural appropriation to New Yorkers. It's uh, or Italians. It's not actually, but you know what I mean. It, it's of I'm just going to cut that whole part out. Never mind. Um, <laughs> No, I totally get where you're coming from. It's like for me pineapple on, apple on pizza. Um All right. Any other last things you want to say? Can we wrap this up now? Yes, we can wrap it up. Before I get even more fake upset. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, you know, it's been great uh, at a world when there's a lot going on to get us both pretty upset. I'm glad we got to take a few minutes to talk about this here. Star Wars is fun. It really is. It really is. And, you know, I I, I will say one more thing, which is that I I realized the first time I watched these episodes, I was going through it pretty quickly because – I was in not a great place, and I was not employed. I wasn't doing anything, so I was just binging television 10 hours a day, often probably more like 16, let's be honest. Um, and by this point, I just wanted to get to the end. I was like, I want to know how it all ends. How does it all wrap up? And I think because of it, I didn't really give myself the time to experience these last episodes. And in my head, somehow, I got into the idea that like the first Like, I love Ahsoka so much that I think some of the last times I've gone back to watch, I've mostly just watched, like, seasons one and two, or maybe seasons one, two, and three, and haven't really... So I realized this is one of the... I probably watched it at least one more time, but it hadn't really hit me until I was able to, as you said, watch Jedi Knight, sit with that for a week, and then watch Doom. And so I'm really glad we're doing this podcast, because it's give give me another chance to re-experience a lot of these things.
1: And for us specifically like doing this episode and the next one coming up with the additional context. We're going to try not to spoil too much, but we do have to talk about the Ahsoka show because Mm -hmm. they're like strong tie-ins. So it's going to be important and to discuss it with that new context since the last time I've thought about these episodes will be interesting.
0: Yeah, no, it's very true. And that's part of why also I am, holding these off on releasing for a little while because you know uh, we're doing them now even though the strike is still going on because the union has made very clear that uh discussions of um animated stuff does not fall under what they've asked people not to do because you know no one was working under sag contract when they made these animated shows i've not talked about ahsoka uh, at all though. And so, um, my hope is that by the time we get to that third episode, and by the time we release the third episode, the strike is over, um, I may hold it, though, for a little while, or I may just decide, like, look, we're going to try and talk about it as little as possible, but we'll just reference it. We'll see, we'll see what happens when we get there. Um, but, uh, Riki, I just want to say, actually, pause for a second, um, do you want me to give you a chance to promote your stuff for right now, because you're kind of on a hiatus, should I just say, check out no. show notes and go beyond that? No, I got nothing. Okay. <clears throat> um... So, so we'll see how, where all that falls, but uh, Riki, I just want to say what an absolute pleasure it's been to go through this show with you. I'm so glad we're going to finish it off. Um, Sarah, of course, um, <clears throat> I've always loved having her on. Schedules have just not made that possible right now. She may be able to come on by the end. We'll see. If not, though, certainly we'll get Riki and Sarah back on for lots of other content. And of course, to the fans, um, we'd love to hear more of what you think. Um, would love to get your feedback. would love to get your content, uh, suggestions and thoughts. Obviously a lot of change is happening right now at the Star Wars podcast, and we'd love to hear your thoughts and all that. Um, we're going to hold off on a Patreon, uh, we're going to hold off on a member section for this week, um, just because again, so much is in, in flux, but we'll be getting back to those soon, so let me just say on behalf of myself and Ricky, thank you so much for listening. We have spoken. Do. I like it. I like it. And we're out. We kept it to just about...